Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye Jr. I'm going to go right to my first guest because her time is precious. And that's Congresswoman Maxine Waters from the 43rd Congressional District of California, the chair of the House Financial Services Committee, and also the, uh, the mentor to uh, my daughter, Angela T. Rye. Uh, she provided an opportunity in her LA office back when Angela was a third year law school. And she took off from then on and with the tutelage and the guidance of Maxine Waters, she has uh, become a quite a figure, I would say, in, in, in this community anyway. So Congressman Waters, welcome. Uh, we know there's a lot going on and uh, uh, the Republicans keep claiming, I guess without even a vote, that they're gonna take the House and the Senate. And I thought usually there had to be a vote before there would be any kind of transition or assuming any position of authority. So uh, they are so sure, but I think that Roe v. Wade and maybe January 6th might be an impediment to them. What are your feelings about that? Well, first of all, thank you for the way that you're describing this. And certainly, uh, I do think uh, that they're saying uh, that they're going to take back the House, et cetera. Uh, yeah, that's wishful thinking. And Democrats should not be intimidated by that. We should take all of the opportunities they have afforded us and use them. The January 6th invasion of the Capitol, to me, is the most, um, most precious thing that we have in order to deal with them and whom they are and what they have done. That invasion speaks to uh, their willingness to undo and undermine democracy, even though they've always claimed that they were more patriotic than anybody else. And to tell you the truth, Eddie, if we can't take that and deal with that and help people to understand that they cannot be intimidated by Trump, that they cannot allow the undermining of the democracy in the way that they're doing uh, to not be challenged and fought against, then we don't need to be here. We don't need to be in public policy at all. They have given us an absolute description of whom they are and what they care about and what they're willing to do. And so I believe that despite the fact that there is some talk about him having this dedicated constituency that's always gonna be there, I believe that as we pay close attention, that we see that they're very, very soft spots, that they're those who are looking in a different direction, that those who are looking for opportunities uh, to come out and talk about what happened in the Republican Party. So us fighting against what we have experienced with the Republicans, those inside the Republican Party that know that the Republican Party has been hijacked and taken over by Trump and who really want to free themselves of that, I think we can give them the opportunity to do that by making sure we're on message and that we're saying it over and over again and not letting them get away with it. With Kevin McCarthy and the rest of them who all recognize that this dangerous ex-president had basically violated the constitution of the United States and undermined democracy and said so and made comments that are now coming out. We need to play them over and over and over again so that they cannot escape what they felt and what they know and they understand, no matter what they're saying now, you can't turn it around. You can't somehow just sweep away 
the accusations that you made and the understanding that you have about who he is and what he's done. So it's uh, on us to provide that leadership in order to uh, basically make sure that we protect the democracy and that we do not allow the Republicans, the right-wingers, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the QAnon, the KKK, all of them are domestic terrorists who are out to destroy this democracy. And we, we've got to make that known. We've got to be able to describe that. And I am believing that we can. The other issue is that a lot of people are, are would like to see uh, an executive order from the president, I guess a more forcible stand on voting rights, uh, your position on, on, on what, should, what needs to happen to ensure that all eligible Americans have a right to vote? Well, we know uh, that the Republicans have put a lot of time and effort and they have gone off the radar screen in the way that they have come up with voter suppression in all of these states where they have basically done everything from be able to identify who's sitting in the positions of, you know, orchestrating the elections and counting the votes, et cetera, et cetera. They've taken advantage of their ability to make appointments, et cetera. They've come up with all kinds of supp suppression, voter suppression laws. You know, uh, they have tried to do, go back and do everything to ensure uh, that they discourage people from coming, you know, to the polls to vote. And they're against mail-in ballots uh, because they believe that mail-in ballots certainly what can defeat them. And Trump was so afraid of it. And um, he's right to have been afraid of it because we beat him. And even with the lies that he's told about it being fraudulent and that, you know, the election's being stolen, the fact of the matter is the more we support people's opportunity to vote and assist them and fight against suppression, we can beat them. And so we want the president to be in the leadership of the effort. We want the president to understand that the future of the Democratic Party depends on our ability uh, to basically fight against voter suppression, call it out, do everything that we can uh, to show uh, that it is simply another way that they would like themselves to steal elections. And so I'm optimistic we can do this and the president can even be stronger with it. Yes, I also wanna ask about your opinion right now on, uh, you know, we keep talking about the election being sold and other people do, but we have a telephone recorded conversation with the, uh, a 45 asking, the Secretary of State in Georgia to find 11,780 votes. And apparently, uh, I don't, can't remember the uh, district attorney's name in Fulton County, but Sister Lady is, I guess, a panel of grand jury. Is there any new information on that? No, but I want you to know, we should feel very proud of her and what she has done. And the impanelment of a grand jury is very, very important. She's done extraordinary and excellent work. But I want to tell you, these Black women are on it. Whether you're talking about in Georgia or in New York, I mean, they're the ones that's bringing to the forefront what needs to be said and what needs to be done. They're not afraid, they're not intimidated, and they're making breakthroughs in the criminal justice system in order to uh, expose, uh, you know, Trump and all of his tribe for what they have done and what they're doing. Well, I certainly would have hoped that uh, uh, Sojourner Truth, uh, Harriet Tubman, uh, <laughs> Shirley Chisholm, uh, Constance Baker Motley, 
uh, Coretta Scott King would have paid a midnight visit to Senator Tim Scott. Yes, yes. I mean, how can you sit up here and do something that we had being as your grandmother? But anyway, I'll leave that alone. No dozens. <laughs> but but you know what? Uh, I also want to talk about what are the positive things that's coming. We know a whole bunch of bad stuff's happening. What are the positive things, and what would be the reasons why people would be enthusiastic about going to the polls and supporting? And, and I tell you what, the MAGA people is enough inspiration for me. But what are the positive things that, that uh, the administration has currently done that you have supported? Well, let me just say one of the proudest moments uh, that I experienced during my career was the way that Biden and the Democrats responded to the pandemic. I want to tell you uh, what we did for the unemployed, where we supplemented uh, their unemployment checks, where we made sure we had stimulus checks that put on to give to these families so they could have food on the table, gasoline in the cars, the way that we supported small businesses with the PPP program, even when it started out with the big banks, you know, creating, you know, opportunities for their concierge clients. We took it back. And because I was there and Nita Velasquez was there, and this is why diversity is so important. When we saw them still, uh, the, the funds literally and give them to their big clients. We came back with $60 billion. We put into our minority banks, we put into our credit unions, and we were able to get funding to a lot of our small businesses. Now we have Build Back Better. And this goes even beyond what we have done in the American Rescue Plan and our response to the pandemic. And Build Back Better improves on all of that. And when we look at what it does, for job creation, uh, what we have already done for infrastructure repair that creates jobs and contracts. When we take a look at how it supports, you know, parental leave and uh, child care and more medical uh, care, for, we are doing a great job. Build Back Better is being held up by two so-called Democrats on the Senate side, which I'm sick and tired of. And we've got to fight them and we've got to make sure that we do not allow them to control the entire Democratic Party. But we need to get Build Back Better passed. That is a great piece of legislation that not only continues to deal with the pandemic, but moves us forward with job training and job creation and the ability to have contracts and to support our small businesses, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm very pleased about our efforts and what we think about and what we're able to articulate that we want to do that's so different from these right-wingers who are radical and who are out to undermine the democracy. And I do believe that Democrats deserve uh, to be re-elected, uh, progressive Democrats who care about the people, who care about the families, who care about our children, who care about what we need if we have another surge and vaccinations and making sure that testing and medicine is available to everybody without charge. We're on the right track. We've just got to overcome uh, two of the nitwits over on the Senate side who are undermining us in an effort to show that they can exercise power because we're so closely, uh, you know, in, in numbers, Democrats versus Republicans, et cetera, et cetera. So we got to fight and we got to keep going. Well, you know, in this state, we are fighting, you know, uh, I've shared with your office some information. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Washington State Civil Rights Coalition filed a complaint with the Department of Justice uh, uh, citing racial discrimination against African descendants of the United States enslaved. 
uh, from several agencies, or, uh, eight or nine disparity studies, two private studies. And it was said to, uh, was a letter, matter of fact, a letter from our Congressman Adam Smith went in re requesting that uh, the Civil Rights Division of DOJ look into the documented discrimination. He cited in a letter to Kristen Clark, uh, who is the Deputy Attorney General for Civil Rights. Now that complaint has been sent over to the State Department of Transportation. So we're at a, we're at a, a loss for why would a racial discrimination complaint be sent to the uh, Transportation Department and not be dealt with at the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice. So we're kind of at a loss for that. And I share with your office some of that information as well. Well, thank you. Uh, first of all, let me just say that uh, some of us are concerned about the Department of Justice. We're concerned that uh, it does not appear to be the real effort that should be put forth to support what is happening in Georgia and New York uh, and other places that are fighting against what we have learned about the past administration and the way that they've undermined our civil rights. And so we've got to put some attention on the Department of Justice to begin with and make sure the president understands that we're not gonna stand for any backing away we're not going to stand for any ignoring uh, that the Justice Department's got to live up to its name and deal with justice for us all. And on this whole thing of civil rights, we can never stop fighting. We can never think that the job is done. For you and I, who are in our mature years at this point, we've got to make sure that we understand for the rest of our lives, this is what we've got to do. And hopefully we can make it better for our children. Hopefully we can have some more Angela Rise who will be able to take what we give them and use it in ways that will help to move us forward and not be afraid to stand up and fight for civil rights. So let us understand that if you think it's a sacrifice, anybody out there listening, you're damn tootin'. It's a sacrifice, but it's one you must do. It's one we must take on. So that's where I stand on all of this. I wake up in a fighting mood. I wake up in a challenge mood. I wake up understand thing that we're not to be intimidated. We're not to be frightened. We're not to think somebody else is going to do it. We've all got to be a part of this. Well, uh, you sound just like me. They said, how long are you going to do this? I said, probably until I die because uh, the, the barriers and challenges are becoming greater today than they were 40 years ago. That's right. And, and That's you know, right. Think about, uh, we had the great society programs uh, that uh, Dr. King and others in the civil rights movement were able to get Lyndon Johnson to sign, and people don't want to understand it, but those th those programs and, and, and were meant for African descendants of the United States enslaved. Now, that's that's, right. not against anybody else, but that's who created the changes, and that's why right now Black businesses get treated worse, uh, Black employees get treated worse, access to education at the University of Washington is down. I mean, there are a lot of Blacks out there, but very few African-Americans African descendants of the United States enslaved. If you go to the football team or the basketball team, it's a different story. But when it comes down to the ones in the classroom, so we had those strong Black student unions led by Larry Gossett a long time ago that created some change and it went all across the country. And I think that the, our students have to do the same thing again. And that's one other point I want to raise is before we go to uh, uh, Miguel Maestas, who's on the line with us right now. Miguel, you can say hi to the Congresswoman Waters. She knows your family well. Hello, Congresswoman Waters. Wonderful to see you. Thank you. Good to see you also. And I 
just get all fired up when I'm talking to Eddie Rye. I tell you, he gets me fired up. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> well, Congressman Rye, I don't know how much time you have, but we have uh, a number of people who are serving the folks uh, from the Seattle Women's and Human Rights Commission. And I, is, could I allow each one of them that's online just to introduce themselves? No speeches, sure. just introduce yourselves. Y'all got a segment coming up a little later. So go right ahead. Who wants to go first? Marta? Tana? Oh, hello there. This is Marta Itawu, Seattle Office for Civil Rights, and so happy to be here with you today. Thank you. Next. Greetings. I'm Tana Yasu. I'm so pleased and honored to be here with you today. Auntie Maxine. Thank you. Thank you. Delighted to see you. Anybody else on from the city? Um, Congresswoman Waters, uh, my name is Rebecca. I'm one of the co-chairs, um, and I actually used to work for Congressman Smith. So um, this is just a full circle, and I always love hearing from you. So glad Thank you wake you. up in a fighting mood. Thank you so very much. Delighted to see you all. Anyone else from the city on? Hi, I'm Andrew Ikechukwu, a co-chair for the Seattle LGBTQ Commission. And thank you for making us reclaim our, our time and our democracy. Well, you're so welcome and thank you. And I have to introduce him too. I'm glad he said his name because I'm going to have him say it again. <laughs> but anyway, uh, is there anybody else from the city on? Okay, Congressman Waters, is there anything like you to say? We really appreciate you taking the time today. And I hope you inspired, inspired all these freedom fighters that's on the line listening to you. Well, thank you so very, very much. Uh, if there's anything that I can say uh, that perhaps would be inspiring and helpful to those who are out there, you know, on the front lines doing this work, don't give up uh, and don't let anybody discourage you. Times will always be difficult. And as we fight uh, in this process, of trying to develop public policy. Oftentimes we discover that the laws that have been made uh, historically are working against us. And before we can get the public policy done, we've got to change some of the history of the laws that have put us in the positions that we're in. So I thank you, I appreciate you. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing the job. For bed at night, sometimes very tired, even disgusted, a good night's sleep, get up the next morning, put the gloves on and let's go at it. Thank you awesome. so very much. Okay, happy Cinco de Mayo. That's why uh, Miguel's gonna speak about next, so thank you. Well, thank you so much. And yes, I know, and I'm a little bit you know, concerned because of uh, the pandemic, we have so many Cinco de Mayo celebrations that are not happening yet. And so I'm missing them. Usually I'm parading. Uh, I'm, you know, going around to the different uh, Cinco de Mayo events that are being done all over the city, all over the county. So I'm anxious to get back to it because that is a lesson in the struggle. That's a lesson about people who had the uh, audacity uh, to say that, you know, we're going to fight, we're going to struggle for our independence, and we're not going to just sit and get run over. So that's another civil rights lesson that we must be aware of. Thank you very much, Congressman Maxine Waters. Certainly appreciate you. And you got, you got me fired up. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank All you. Right. All right, now. Thank you so okay. much. Okay. Okay. Uh, Miguel Masters, Associate Administrator for El Centro de la Raza, founded in October 1972, which came from a struggle led by his uncle Roberto Maestas. I spent a few nights in the building myself. So we'll go right ahead, Miguel, 
And we're going to talk about Seco de Mayo and the history of that. Congressman Waters kind of led us into it already. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Eddie. And, and it's uh, just an honor to be on the same program as, as Congresswoman Waters, who has been a, an, a great friend to El Centro de la Raza for decades. So, uh, so again, just, just an honor to, to share, share the same meeting. <laughs> and uh, we, um, you know, El, uh, Cinco de Mayo uh, is, a, is a celebration that, uh, you know, it, it basically, um, we celebrate the victory of a very um, out, outmanned, a small army um, of, of Mexican people who defeated the French back in uh, 1862. And there's a little, some, just a couple things I'll share about the history and then I'll talk about our celebration. But um, basically, uh, the president at that time, Benito Juarez, who was the first indigenous president, Indian president at, in Mexico, um, told the Europeans that they weren't going to pay the debt, any uh, debt, and Europeans had obviously colonized and exploited Mexico for uh, centuries, and France decided to invade Mexico, and uh, uh, an army of of um, of, of uh, campesinos, farm workers, farmers, uh, a lot of most of them were, were indigenous people, uh, rose up and fought one of the most powerful armies in the world and won on that day in 1862 and basically uh, created a momentum where uh, Mexico freed itself from foreign domination, from colonialism, from imperialism. And the lesson that uh, Congresswoman Waters was sharing is true is, is that it, it was a, an example of a people fighting for their independence, fighting for justice, and and really outnumbered. And it was ordinary people; it was poor people who stood up and defended their their homeland and their country. So it's a a beautiful example. It's a David and Goliath story. Um, so it's it's an incredibly um, important uh, point in history for for uh, Mexico, and it it has um. And, and it's not celebrated as much in Mexico as it is in the United States. And that has some history and some connection to uh, black and brown solidarity. Um, back in the 60s, uh, Chicano activists, uh, Mexican-American activists, students <clears throat> were looking to organize and, and use um, uh, and, and, and organize this holiday in the spring. So they had enough time to do it on campuses but it was a call for uh, Chicanos and Latinos to uh, come together around this holiday, but really um, stand in solidarity with the civil rights struggles that were happening at that time. Uh, so that, because that celebration was organized in that way in the United States, it has become uh, a much bigger uh, holiday or, or, or much more celebrated and recognized here in uh Chicano and Mexican American communities in the United States, and the biggest celebration is in in Los Angeles, near where Congresswoman Water is. And um, so, I wanted to just share a little bit about that history. Um, so, obviously, the other point we we always share about Cinco de Mayo at El Centro de la Raza, and I forgot to mention we translate El Centro de la Raza as the Center for People of All Races. Um, so, Cinco de Mayo, obviously, as we see, has been culturally appropriated by um, businesses by the uh, liquor industry to sell, you know, lots of tequila and cerveza and, and really, you know, has, uh, 
and have a party and there's nothing wrong with celebrating it. But we also, but which often is the case is that the history, the true history and even the history in our own communities is not recognized. Um, so we always have to raise up the history and talk about how Cinco de Mayo, the history of that particular event and also um, how it connects to our to our struggle for civil rights uh, and how it, it it is a an example to our communities even today. Uh, so that's is there the any, message. any events planned for today? There is. Well, well, we actually our event at El Centro de la Raza is planned for Saturday. We're gonna have it. It's it's our Cinco de Mayo celebration, but it's gonna be on the on Siete de Mayo. It's gonna be on May seventh. Um, and it's going to be at the plaza outdoors. We're doing it outdoors so that, you know, there's uh, uh, safer as far as the pandemic, ma you know, masks are encouraged. But we're going to have a whole variety of events uh, starting at 10 o'clock. Um, there's going to be a DJ. There's going to be um, uh, youth groups that are going to be performing uh, different types of entertainment. And really, um, this whole celebration, it, we do this and other cultural events to pass, pass on our traditions and our culture to our children and, and make sure that they are proud and never forget them. And it's a time to gather with, with all communities and celebrate this, uh, the, his, the heroic victory of the Mexican people against the French army back in um, May 5th of 1862. So, um, okay, Miguel, we're, we're out of time. I'm sorry. I know all right, that's all right. Just a little bit, you know, but it was it that's was all right. We appreciate the time on. and just want everybody to know you're welcome from 10 to 10 to 4 at El Centro de la Raza on Saturday. Okay, Mi gracias, Eddie. All right, we appreciate you, brother. Thank you very much. Okay, I want to introduce um, is Marta Adewu on the line. Yes, this is Marta Idewu from the Seattle Marta Office Idewu. of Civil Rights. Okay. And Andrew, please pronounce your middle and last name. My middle name is Ik Chuku, or it could just be Ik. Um, okay. And the last name is, as it's spelled, Ashiofu. Ashiofu. And he's the Seattle co-chair of the LGBTQ Commission. And Rebecca Bryant, are you on? Yep. Good to see you, Eddie. Okay. Rebecca Bryant is co-chair of the Seattle Women's Commission. And we heard from Tana Yasu earlier, one of my friends, and she's co-chair of the Seattle Women's Commission. How you doing, Tana? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much. Marta, we really appreciate you and Rebecca's uh, uh, assistance in putting this program together. So uh, we, now, we've lost we lost quite a bit of time, so we don't have a, as much as I'd like to have with you, but we, I'm on every Thursday, so we can all come back individually or collectively again. But uh, Martha, I'd like to have you start out just uh, giving about a one or two minute overview of the Seattle Women's and Human Rights Commission, maybe throw a little history in there. Oh, certainly. Thank you so much. Uh, again, it's a, a pleasure to be here today. Um, my name is Marta Itawu. I'm with the Seattle Office for Civil Rights, and the Seattle Office for Civil Rights are, uh, are have four advisory commissions for the city of Seattle, the Seattle Disability Commission, the Seattle Human Rights Commission, the Seattle LGBTQ Commission, and the Seattle Women's Commission. And each of these four commissions advise the mayor, the city council and city departments about important issues that affect the communities that the commissioners represent. And I want to note that unfortunately the Seattle Human Rights Commission uh, could not uh, be here today. And uh, at this time, I would like to have each of the commissioners that are here introduce themselves and talk a little more about your work and, and be inclusive about any work plans that you have that, and what those work plans entail current information about upcoming meetings, 
recruitment efforts, um, events coming up, et cetera. And let's start off with, uh, is a disability commission, I guess they uh, weren't able to come on, but then we'll just go ahead and start off with uh, Andrew from the Seattle LGBTQ Commission and uh, talk about who you are and your commission and your work, and then followed by the Seattle Women's Commission. Thank you so much at this time. Go right ahead, Andrew. And you go do all that in three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for that. I think I can do this in three minutes. Um, He's going to do his best. <laughs> I I am the co-chair of the Seattle LGBTQ Commission. Um, the commission is the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community. Um, we advise the mayor, the city council, and city departments about issues affecting the LGBTQ community. The commission recommends policies and legislations, brings together LGBTQ communities with the larger Seattle community through long-range pro projects, and ensures city departments fairly and equitable address issues affecting and involving around the Seattle LGBTQ commission and communities as individuals and as a protected class and also afforded accessibility and inclusion to the service of the city of Seattle. Um, we've done so many great projects. Um, we, um, we've worked with organizations and last year we really had a huge victory when we worked with some other commissions on making a statement regarding anti-LGBTQ laws being passed in Africa. Um, we are being focused now on our on the transsex transsexual community based on the transgender community i mean especially seeing the attacks nationwide on that community from education to accessibility um, accessibility of treatment and also one of the major areas we're looking in the transgender community is housing um we are recruiting 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 and we're looking for a diverse um members most especially people with lived experiences that have that know what it means to be oppressed and those that are willing to fight as we heard from representatives Waters today ready to fight wake up and fight so we're looking for individuals um broad variety from racial diversity to ethnic diversity to gender identity um diversity even um, all forms to come and speak up and represent representation matters. So um, we were, we're open to new commission members. Thank you. We got to take a quick break before we come back to Rebecca Bryant. So can we go ahead and take that break now? Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. 
seattletacoma.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seatacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk, 1150. Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest. And uh, our next guest will be Tana Yasu, co-chair of the Seattle Women's Commission. How are you doing, my friend, Tana? I'm doing wonderful, my wonderful friend. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here today. Just simply honored and beaming from being here on the same day as our wonderful Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Um, So I am on the Seattle Women's Commission. I'm the co-chair. This is my fourth year on the commission. And we are having so many things going on right now. First of all, the Seattle Women's Commission was created in 1970 by Jeanette Williams, who was a Seattle um, City Council member. And she um, did many great things. And so she created this commission for the work that Marta told that we do. We we research and look into things that concern women and the marginalized communities and give recommendations to the mayor and to the city and and, um, policymakers. We also um, create reports. Our last report was done in 2018 on homelessness, and that helped move a lot of legislation for rent reform that um, now, especially since the pandemic, um, you know, a lot more work. Those things were placed, and that was great, but now we have more work to do in that area since the pandemic and and the things we're facing. But I did want to speak to our vacancies. We have six vacancies on the commission right now. So we are recruiting and we need to have these diverse voices to come out and um, help us to spread attention to our causes. So our work plan for 2022 is around affordable child care, missing, murdered, and indigenous women, and housing access. So these are all very important issues that women are dealing with and need support. We're so glad to be be able to give a voice to these issues. And um, we just invite more people to come on board. Did you have any specific questions? <laughs> no, we just we'll we'll get back to some some very specific. So I oh, want to okay. go to Rebecca right now, and then I'm gonna come back and uh, have uh, Marta also chime in with some uh, probably some more clarifying questions than I would have. 
So Rebecca mm-hmm. Brand also is a co-chair of the Seattle Women's Commission. So uh, Rebecca, go right ahead. Yeah, thank you, Eddie. Um, great to see you as always. Um, so I'm a co-chair with Tana. I'm a little bit newer to the commission than Tana. Um, I joined when I came back home from DC. Um, I, that's where I met Mr. Rye. Uh, I worked for Congressman Smith um, for a number of years. And when I came home, I wanted to put um, my experience seeing how public policy can shape lives. I wanted to put that to action. Um, and the Seattle Women's Commission was the obvious choice. So I've been a member for a, a couple of years now, and I just want to um, emphasize what Tana said. We are looking for um, folks to join. Um, our work is best done when we have diverse voices from different communities that we can then amplify. Um, we have a, a loud voice, and we want to use it um, to speak for the women of Seattle. Um, so I, I did want to mention, um, in addition to what Tana said, we love working with our other commissions. Um, we worked with Andrew on a candidate forum in advance of the primary um, elections last year. And um, as Tana mentioned, one of our issues is housing and homelessness. And so we actually worked on a um, renter's rights forum around the eviction moratorium with the Disability Rights Commission last year. Um, so I think that's just a good reminder to all of us that when we come together as many commissions, we can really get things done. And uh, I do want to say that uh, Caitlin uh, uh, Skelton, who is a co-chair of the Seattle Disability Commission, was invited today. We want everybody to know that she was invited, and hopefully at some point in time we'll hear from her. Now, uh, I want to go back to Marta for a minute. Marta, there are these vacancies. What is your role in terms of getting the word out uh, recruiting people and making contact with folks in addition to the efforts being made by the Women's Commission? Well, what we do is we, you know, we send the notices out. We have it posted on each one of the commission's website and personal contacts. I mean, when you reach out in the community, you're talking to people, you let them know about commission uh, appointments that are uh, vacancies that are coming up. And so those are the ways that we do that. Uh, I mean, a lot of times word of mouth is who you know. We also ask the commissioners to uh, reach out to uh, people that they know from their jobs, out in the community, in organizations that they work for. We get a lot of folks that way as well. So we're just really encouraged that uh, we'll get a a good uh, supply of uh, candidates uh, sending in their applications and stuff. So we're looking forward to it. Okay. I want to ask Andrew, what were some of the major challenges uh, for the LGBTQ uh, uh, commission and what are your uh, goals for, say, for the coming years? Is there anything you have to overcome? Any programs or anything that you want to implement? Can you address that? Yeah, um, I, I know this is a general across all commission is the attrition rates with commissioners. So one of our goals um, is to build our commission base. We did a very massive, we changed our policy from seasonal recruitment to a role in recruitment. So constantly we have recruitment, Every uh, anyone could apply anytime. Um, in terms of projects, um, um, we have the pride raising flag, the pride flag raising ceremony June 1st. Um, we are really trying to work with the new um, Seattle um, mayor administration especially when it comes to the housing crisis. And we're trying to work on projects to protect um, unhoused LGBTQ youths and also, again, the um, transgender community. And I stress on that because um, statistic, Black trans women are murdered and are unhoused more than any other 
um, race in the transgender community. And so we need to speak. You know, everyone has said it. We keep on talking about the importance of representation. Um, we're also trying to work with other commissions in doing community-centric activities and, pro and events, going to different parts, not just concentrating in the metro Seattle area, but going to the other parts of Seattle and do projects there. And also um, we're working on, on bringing more, talking, um, more about the attack on LGBTQ from transgender youths in high school to banning of books, to banning of the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida. So we're trying to use our platform to be um, advocates and bring that up and work with the city council and if possible, the state on bills to protect our communities. I wanna ask uh, Tana the same thing. Uh, what were the, the major obstacles uh, you've had other than the pandemic? And what are the goals for the next year for the Women's Commission? So the obstacles other than the pandemic? Well, right now, looking at uh, what might possibly be happening uh, with our Supreme Court and those leaked documents, women's rights, the rights to our bodies, the rights to just being able to, you know, make our own decisions is something that uh, has been a challenge for women. I mean, we just came out of, to feel like we came out of Women's History Month in March. Then we had Sexual Assault Awareness and um, month in April. And, and we're making all this progress, trying to make progress for our rights, for our safety, and then to turn around and have to like roll back the clock on all of the work we've done. That is one of the most large obstacles that I think we're looking at right now. Um, and then that's going to open the door to obviously other uh, rights issues, civil rights and, and things like that. So, but like I said before, our work plan for 2022-2023 um, is going to be around affordable child care um, and missing it, murdered, and Indigenous women in housing access. So these are things we're working on. And I want to make it known, too, this is volunteer. These commissions, this is volunteer work. So this is community members that come together to do this work. And it, it is much easier to have this team and this group to work with. And so it's, it's very, very much needed. And we understand that Things are stressful right now for a lot of people, but if we do continue to work together as a team, we will be able to accomplish much more. Rebecca Bryant, uh, also a co-chair of the Seattle Women's Commission, I'd like to have, so have your response to the same question. Yeah, you know, Eddie, I would just, I love what Tana said, and I um, would just say it's it's striking to be a woman in a generation where I may have less rights than the generations that came before me because of what happened um, or what the Supreme Court may do. And that is not the direction that this country should be heading. So I think um, as women, um, we I, I think I'll just channel um, our fa fabulous um, Congresswoman Maxine Waters to say we're going to wake up ready to fight. Um, it's not an easy time, but um, I'm energized and I know Tana is as well. Um, so I think we're going to take our frustration with what may be happening and we're going to channel that. Um, and get some things done. Uh, Martin, I would like to ask you, since the Human Rights Commission is not here, if you could uh, uh, reveal to our, our listeners exactly what the role of the Seattle Human Rights Commission, because I remember at one time, it was only just a Human Rights Commission, and finally people started waking up, 
and being start being inclusive. So could you share with our listeners what is the current role of the Seattle Human Rights Commission? Well, the Seattle Human Rights Commission is the same thing. They advise, they they advise the mayor, the city council, city departments on issues and the importance of human rights issues. And that's basically what their focus is on is people come to them all the time about uh, uh, terrible things that are happening in other countries, uh, terrible things that are happening to them, that they want to have this uh, Seattle Human Rights Commission uh, you know, write a letter about, uh, you know, make the uh, higher ups in city government know about them to take action on some legislative type of things. I mean, they're all over the map on human rights stuff. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, is basically focused on human rights, which is everybody <laughs> and everything that is encompassed under that. So, Who is the chair of the Seattle Human Rights Commission, the co-chairs? Well, the two the co-chairs currently right now is Julia Ismael and Alexander Tang. Okay, and uh, now do they have the same problems with recruitment? And how many members on the Seattle? Oh, yeah, the, the Seattle Human Rights Commission, all the four commissions every year around this time, they have uh, recruitment efforts. There's people who resign or and there's people that uh, term off. You know, they've done like... Uh, their uh, two two year term, and they don't want to go further for the second two year term or the third two uh, two year term. Uh, so they uh, so different times of the year, we have a number of people uh, transitioning off, and others we need to then do recruitment to get them get more people to fill up the commission. And each one of the commissions has twenty one commissioners. Mm-hmm. Now, since uh, Caitlin Skelton is not here to co chair the Seattle Disability Commission, I'd like to have you take a couple of minutes to uh, explain or uh, inform our listeners is what are the roles and responsibilities of the Seattle Disability Commission? And then everybody will get like one minute to say what you didn't say before that you thought about after you finished talking. Okay, go ahead, Marta. Okay, so the Seattle uh, Disability in a nutshell, again, they advise the mayor, the city council and city department about issues of importance to people with disabilities. They recommend policies, practices and legislation to the city and matters affecting the concerns of people with disabilities and encourages understanding among people with various disabilities as well as between people with disabilities and the larger Seattle community. The commission utilizes the 10 disability justice principles to guide their work. Intersectionality, leaders are those most impacted. Anti-capitalist politics, Commitment to cross movement organizer, uh, recognize wholeness, sustainability, commit to cross disability solidarity, interdependence, collective access, and collective liberation. So they're very strong on really, really making sure that people understand the different justice principles that they have and the guide that guide their work and how they roll and do their work and how they make recommendations and policies and practice based on what the needs are of their community. And that's very important. They're, they're a really, um, really good uh, uh, practicing uh, disability on issues that really affect them. And they're really just really into that. And I'm really proud of that commission. And I'm just sorry that Caitlin could not be here today to go into more detail about uh, their work and what they do and their recruitment efforts. I believe that they're uh, they have a, a number of commissioners that they need as well. So 
all the commissioners right now are doing recruitment and it's just that time of season and we're just uh, so pleased to be on this program to be able to get the word out to let people know who we are what the work is of these four commissions under the Seattle Office for Civil Rights and we again thank you again for having us. Well for the next uh, two hours after this program according to Eric that it will be on the podcast uh, the Herbert Broadcasting Podcast so it will be uh, this your information will be available 24-7 also they can go on Alexa and hear it live as well. So Andrew, I want to ask you the same thing. What uh, what would you like to, to mention or say that you didn't say during your previous comments? Um, I, I, I am going to have more on recruitment again. And I, I just want to say briefly, as a Nigerian immigrant, being able to speak on behalf of LGBTQ immigrants from Africa, from other countries has been amazing. And we need more people to step up. As we said, representation matters. Um, I know what affects me. I might not understand. I might, I might, I know what might affect you, but I don't understand how it feels, except you come to the table and speak on that. And please come join us and let's make changes in Seattle LGBTQ communities. Okay, Rebecca, what about you? Thanks, Eddie. Um, I would just say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about your listeners who may have heard about the Women's Commission today on the show, and they're wondering, is this the fit for me? Um, and if you care about making a change in your community, yes, this is the space for you. Um, so please reach out to us, reach out to Tana and I, we can answer any questions you may have. Um, but I know Eddie's listeners are engaged in their community, and we would love to have any of your voices join us. Okay, Tana, I want to ask you the same question. Wonderful. Seattle is a beacon city, in my opinion. Things that happen here really resonate throughout the rest of the state and the rest of the country. Seattle was a, it's an important enough city that President Biden came, you know, the presidents come and make trips to here to see what we have going on here. So it is um, very important that we keep these things in mind, that we create opportunities for other cities and uh, people to to learn and grow and see that things can be done. I feel like we are a small city, but we have a great impact across the country and perhaps even the world. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, Marta, you got one minute to let me know yeah. what your last thoughts are. Yes, my last thoughts are, please go to the uh, the website uh, for the commissions, uh, seattle.gov uh, forward slash, you can put in the commission's name and then hit enter. It'll bring up the commissions that, you know, all, each one of their websites are there and uh, that information about how to apply, all the information is there. You just uh, go to the website, click and apply the applications there and uh, all the information's there. And we just encourage anyone who is interested that really wants to do hard work not easy, but you'll be, get a reward out of it for doing it. Thank you so much. Okay, I want to thank Marta Idle, who just spoke. I want to thank Andrew. I'm going to learn your last name before the day is over, uh, who is a Seattle co-chair of the LGBTQ Commission, Rebecca Bryant, co-chair of the Seattle Women's Commission, Tana Yasu, co-chair of the Seattle Women's Commission, and we miss Caitlin Skelton, co-chair of the Seattle Dis uh, Disability Commission. Thank all of you. And uh, we will talk with you soon. If you have something coming up, I'm on every Thursday. Just let me know. It not to be collective. It could be individually. All right. So we're going to take a break, Eric, and come back for the wrap up.
Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. All right, anyway, I want to thank you for tuning in to another edition. This program can be heard a couple hours, 24-7 on my podcast. Uh, I want to thank uh, the Port of Seattle Jersey Contracting Office, Mian Rice, Lawrence Coleman, uh, uh, Josie Riggins. I also want to thank uh, the City of Seattle's uh, uh, Construction and Public Works, not really public, what is Liz Alzier's uh, Seattle Construction. Uh, and also, I want to thank Sound Transit Diversity, uh, Diversity uh, Office of Civil Rights, Josie Regan. And I uh, want to give a shout out of condolence to uh, the Gaten family. Uh, Sylvia Gaten Wesley uh, service will be tomorrow, Friday at Sunset Hills Memorial at 12:30. And then I also have to mention that my own brother Jerry Wayne Rye will have a memorial service on Saturday at 11 o'clock at uh, uh, Holgate Street Church of Christ, and uh, that will be at 11 o'clock. Uh, and once I say, I want to let you know that these programs are archived on my website, urbanformnw.com. They're archived for a year, and the podcast will be available shortly after this program goes up. Uh, I want to say thank you very much and uh, look forward to talking with you again next week. And I have everybody's names uh, squared away. Liz Alzier, I'm sorry I messed you up today. It's uh, Purchasing and Construction Services, and you have uh, Carol, Jesse, and Mark down there doing business as well. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, Eric. We'll talk with you again next week.